0: to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae.
1: Yak Sports Podcast here to start off August. We are only three weeks away until we'll be having a high school game week. We are not going to focus too much on high school football this week because we probably will the rest of the way. But let's dive into the local sports that you, the Augusta County sports fan, cares about. Joe Deck is with me like normal. Joe, you covered Valley League Baseball all year for the Stan Braves and even got to venture outside of that with this championship series. But it was like some dude came on our podcast in in late May and told us exactly what was going to happen. And, uh, yeah, that happened. John Leonard came on and told us exactly what would happen. And not that we, I think, doubted him when he said it as much as a week into the season when Waynesboro wasn't looking very good, maybe two weeks in the season, you know, it got brought back up. But sure enough, they've, they've played great baseball ever since took out my Braves uh, there in the uh, South championship series. uh, But then they did fall short to Strasburg, but that's exactly how John Leonard said, we don't even need to play the season. I mean, you talk about not needing to play a college Mm -hmm. football season. We just need John Leonard to show up every May and then, and we don't even need to play. We can just listen to John and and give him a trophy, right?
0: Yeah. I'm sure John's going to really appreciate that. We say that, but um, (laughs) yeah, no, he's, he, he got it right at the beginning of the year and, one of the reasons is he spends a lot of time like these Valley league, uh, GMs and, uh, people who help recruit for these teams and coaches. Like he spends a lot of time, like background researching these kids so he can come up with these preseason reports and get his information started and ready. And, uh, and it helps him when they are bringing kids back from previous teams, because he already has database on them. So like, he, he puts in an insane amount of work to this uh, every year, and this during the year is no different. He's every day writing a hitter of the day, a pitcher of the day, writing up game reports on each game and going through them and watching broadcasts and all kinds of stuff that just devotes so much time to the Valley Baseball League. So that's why he knows it so well, and that's why I wasn't terribly surprised that the championship he predicted, and the championship. I believe he did have the Strasburg Express winning it. Um, yeah. Not terribly surprised that that went the way he thought it would go. Um, he he knows it now. Some of that, and he'll be the first one to admit it. The Valley Baseball League, at a certain point, is a war of attrition. It's who who keeps their players around, who has the best arms, who's the healthiest, and that was the difference with Strasburg. Strasburg did not lose a lot of kids. I, I talked to the uh, some of the people who helped run Strasburg, and uh, he said that he thought two kids, they met, they lost from day uh-huh. one to the end, which is almost unheard of in the Valley Baseball League. Yeah. Huge credit goes out to George Loss for that. George Loss kept those kids invested, kept them there in Strasburg. Those kids, I can tell you, I was there. I was on the field after the game, got to talk to George a little bit, um, just very briefly, and – those kids love him, and that's awesome to see. And I'm so happy for George. Um, nobody deserves it better than him. And, oh, exactly.
1: uh, oh, yeah. feel so happy for him. Just, yeah. You know, I mean, he was, a, he was the Braves coach, so, of course, I like him. Um, I was rooting for him when he was assistant to Harrisonburg, when he's mm-hmm. you know proposing to his wife on the field in Harrisonburg, and, and now he's coaching Strasburg to championships. It's just, it's, I'm so happy for him and, it, and just proving how, how good a coach he is for this league. And, and how he's good at developing these guys and, and keeping them happy. And if they want to play for him, if they want to play and win for this guy, like where, where aren't you a good coach then? I mean, and right. it's just well, super and,
0: good. and some of it, too, is that you and I know him because he's in the area. I mean, he coaches yeah. baseball at Stanton High School. And so we get to talk to him and he helps coach the football team. So we run into him up there in the fall. And yeah. I just love talking to him any chance I get. Um, so I'm very happy for George Loss. And Strasburg was a really great team. Um, Waynesboro was a good team, too, though. And. You know, For them, in game two, which is the game I got to do outside of the Stanton Braves season, um, ended up being the deciding game, there was a close play at the plate. And I'm sure if folks at Waynesboro listen, they might not like this. But I I thought the guy was out at the plate. I thought the umpire made the right call. It was bang, bang on a suicide squeeze attempt. Um, They they threw it out. It was a perfect play by the first baseman to get the throw home and throw out the runner going home. Um, Waynesboro put it on their Facebook and put a slow-mo. It's a very... tough angle because you can't see up you're like field level and so you you've got the batter and the catcher in between you and home plate um, but I was up in the press box I could see over home plate and I could see it and I thought he was out the other con- bit of controversy controversy that happened in that game was uh, Strasburg hits a home run they're up two nothing they hit a solo home run to go up three nothing and then they hit another home run to go up four nothing well the second home run did appear like it may have been foul oh i lost it up in the air a little bit when i re caught it it was foul but i was like you know what maybe it hooked over fair i don't know and then i heard waynesboro losing their minds my brother was at the game and he goes uh look pretty foul so i was like (laughs) okay now when you lose four nothing it's hard to blame that on the umpire there uh but I'm sure Waynesboro would say, well, they felt like they were safe at home, so it should have been three to one, and who knows what happens in a two-run game, and that's all well and good. But I would say to recap, since this is a Valley Baseball League recap for us, um for Stanton, they played well. They took out Harrisonburg, which was
1: they just play a situation. Off I'm happy.
0: Yeah, it was a situation of Harrisonburg not having arms and Stanton's bats getting hot at the right time. In the Waynesboro game or Waynesboro series Uh, They lost game one in a bit of a heartbreaker, losing by one. Game two was probably the one... I'd have to say it's the closest Valley Baseball League game I called this year and and the most exciting Um, because that was a game where Stanton goes up 5-0 early and you're thinking, okay, Stanton's going to walk away with this. We're getting ready for game three tomorrow. And... Waynesboro comes back. They do a suicide squeeze in that game, and it works, and they tie the game on it. And then there's a ground ball or a diving play by Kent Rookland, who was playing in right field. He's usually a shortstop or third baseman, but because of injuries, he's playing right field, makes a nice catch in right field, puts a perfect relay throw to the first baseman, who then has a great dart to home to get the runner that was trying to tag on a sack fly. And, or excuse me, that was a base hit. He didn't catch it. It was a base hit. He fields it, and then they sent the runner home. They throw the runner out. That kept the game tied momentarily. Then you get to see where Rookland, not being a usual outfielder, tries to make a diving catch that even if he made it, the guy was going to score on the sack fly because he would have been on the ground trying to get up when he's throwing it. He probably needed to let it bounce because it was going to bounce anyway. Instead, he dives. It gets past him. That being said... Still, they, they leave that inning down one. Stanton ends up scoring two in the top, and they win it in the bottom of the ninth, and just a game where, to me, when they lost the lead after being up 5 nothing and fell behind 6-5, to I'll be honest with you. In my head, I'm sitting there calling the game, and I can't say this on the radio because, one, I want people to keep listening, and, two, uh, you it's know, Stanton Braves' radio, so it tends to be more homer than not. Um, but... In my head, I'm thinking, this is it, season's over tonight. Like, you just blew a five-run lead. You don't come back from this, especially with this little time. But those kids did not quit, and I think in the Valley Baseball League, that's hard. It's hard to get your kids that kind of invested at this point in the summer because for some of those guys, they're looking at it, and they're like, okay, I've got two, three weeks of summer vacation left. If I lose, I can go home tonight. For some of them, that's a big thing. Like they just want to go home or, you know, vacation with their friends or whatever. So for them to show enough fight to come back after blowing a five-run lead, then falling behind, and then getting the lead back immediately in the top of the ninth and winning, I was impressed. Game three didn't go their way. But that was another game where they fell behind three separate times, came back to tie it three times, and then the fourth time yeah. was just a little too much. But
1: so wasn't like an effort.
0: Yeah, time. it wasn't a lack of effort. Yeah. It was just I think Waynesboro was just the better team, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, they, they were the better team that that night. Uh, I think for Stanton, uh, I was really impressed. Um, the coaching change that was made seemed to work, and, and that helped. I, I don't know if they hadn't made that coaching change, if they would have been where they were. Uh, I guess they still would have been in the playoffs probably because Covington's season came to an end because of COVID, but they, uh, I, I don't know if they would have beaten Harrisonburg and I don't know, I don't think they would have been in three games with Waynesboro. It might've been a sweep and it might've been a decisive sweep just because the team was playing differently after that coaching change. So I thought for the Stanton Braves, a pretty successful season. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do next year
1: awesome and i mean i always look forward to Stanton brave's season but uh i overall was happy with the effort i think early when things looked rough before the coaching change i kind of got my mind i just wanted to make the playoffs but then when things look better before they actually like earned their seed i was uh you know got optimistic and was like all right i want them to win a series and they did that so i i gotta remember that even though i hate losing to waynesboro i i will i will take that and I know Waynesboro, I mean, they were just looking to get to that third game. They were trying to find a way to get to that third game, I think, is, is what we were hearing. so, you know, it's nice that it's highly contended league. It's not as as successful as Strasburg's been. It's not that they're running ahead, a mile ahead of everybody. It's it's still close games. It's just they're always the team still in it. And, and Charlottesville mm-hmm. is another one of those that have been consistently in it um, over the years. And this year, not not all the way to the end there. But still, like, they were the best team in the South. So. I'd expect to hear those names again next season, and hopefully the Braves can knock them off next year.
0: Well, and, okay, so, you, I mean, you're talking about Charlottesburg. We should say it's their third title in franchise yeah. history. Um, all of them but have been all, since 2015. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they have been impressive. Uh, they won in 2015. They beat Stanton that year in three. They swept Waynesboro yep. in 2016. Then they sweep Waynesboro again here in 2021. But for them, I mean, okay, so they win the first two that they ever are a part of. Then they lose to Charlottesville in 2017, just miss a 3 P. They don't make it in 2018. 2019, they're back there again against Charlottesville. And then this year in 2021, they're back there. So it, it is a bit of a dynasty up there in the north where Strasburg is pretty dominant. Newmarket is the oddball uh, that was in there. They actually ended up beating Charlottesville that year. So the fact that Charlottesville – uh, wasn't in it, but Strasbourg was. It's It just always seems like those two teams are in it. Yeah. And they yeah. have been since 2015.
1: But I, I, I guess my point there is, 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 and I'm not taking anything away from them. They are dominant. You know, they're the team that's always there. Um, it's But it's the, they're the teams that are always repeating in those spots. But at least, you know, they're not beating every team 10 nothing every game. You know, it is contended games. People think they have a chance. And that's what makes the VBL fun. And I think that's what you get you know, when you, when you get these teams that are made up for a summer and, you know, you mm-hmm. don't, it's not like you're turning out the whole roster, you're not bringing back three quarters of the roster. You're, you're happy to get a couple guys back and then you're building a whole new roster and a whole new team feel. So I, that's one thing I always appreciate about VBL. It's, it's consistently, uh, providing, you know, good competition and that, and that's, what's fun during the summers. And, that's what I hope doesn't change. You know, we worry about the BBL and, and what's going to happen with these major league teams having their summer league teams and, you know, having less minor league teams and focusing more on that. I, I hope the BBL can can keep this competitiveness and and the tradition that we're used to, since so many other things in sports still <laughs> the traditions leaving us. I hope VBL can keep it up. And I, I have faith they can. I, the way the organizations are ran. With the, the nonprofit status and, and these owners that have been in it forever, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah, I agree. All right. The other big topics this last week, uh, the next one to talk about is the Olympics. Plenty to talk about there. Last week, I think as we got the it posted, uh, it was when Simone Biles was pulling out of the gymnastics competition. And uh, that was huge news. And, and I can't really remember equal news of, you know, uh, athlete unable to perform kind of early on in their performance or, or, or pulling out ahead of even competing. And, uh, you know, people immediately go to the comparisons of, of injuries and, and um, you know, Kerry Strug and uh, Dominique Macciano, like t- falling down on the vault. And it's, you can compare that, but this is different. And this is someone talking about something they're struggling with that they they don't have a handle on that you can't see you can't see that ankle all taped up and and swollen you can't see you know the event that happened where this where this gymnast or or athlete is is hurt you know you're you're trusting what they're saying and and seeing 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 what they're saying um based off comments and how they're feeling and their and their explanations and it's different and um you can physically see it when she's practicing and falling. And I think that's something that's gotten lost in this whole Simone Biles thing is, you know, they're acting like she's not being tough enough or, you know, not powering through this girl is way up in the air. That's one of the things about Simone Biles is her ability to jump as high as she does and twist. And if she doesn't have confidence in, in her balance and her twisting of her body, knowing where she's at, she can come down and absolutely destroy her body. Um, I I mean, you can you can you can maximize how awful it could get, but even coming down just a little bit wrong, you're not going to be successful. And then you can also ruin anything that's going to happen after, not only at these Olympics or even there on after. So, I have no real issue with her pulling out. Um, it stinks. I know uh, America didn't win gold, and they're expecting gold for the team competition. It, that stinks. But I think I it's these mental health concerns and issues is not something I'm used to hearing about, but I think we all are going to be very used to hearing about. We've, we've seen Kevin Love for the Cleveland Cavaliers cite his mental health issues. Um, I think, I think that's part of why he's not even at uh, on the um, USA team for basketball. I think we're going to see more of this and I I don't think it's bad because I think, you know, having respect for mental health, um, awareness and, and people taking care of themselves in that way is something we all need to do better and I think it's going to be good for our culture and, and, and the world sports culture and so um, I'm, I'm proud that she has proven to be so strong in so many ways throughout her career performing well and now she's, she's taking care of herself the right way and in reality taking care of Team USA in the same way. You know, her pulling out puts in a healthy, mentally healthy person on that competition and they got silver and if she goes out there and falls during everything, they're not getting silver and she's also probably hurt. So it's, it's, it stinks, but I'm really proud of, of what she was able to do. And, and I'm, I'm willing to keep my ears open and learn more about how these athletes deal with their mental health.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, to that, when I saw that my initial reaction was, well, Probably not going to win gold. That stinks. Um, and then, the more I've thought about it, you know, it. You're right, and, and you hear about the twisties, which is something I hadn't heard of before this week. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, well, it's like the Yips in baseball. And I heard somebody else talking about it, and they're like, you know, okay, it's like the Yips in baseball. But if you have the Yips in baseball, you make an error throwing to first, and maybe your team loses.
1: You, well, you hit Keith Overman's in gym- grandma, you hit Keith Overman's mom in the front row at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, but, yeah, but with,
0: <laughs> with the twisties in gymnastics, like, you make a mistake, and like you said, you can get seriously, seriously injured. And yes. so, like, I can't blame anyone for being like, you know what, I can't figure, I can't do this, I can't, it's, something is wrong, I can't do this, I don't want to get hurt. I understand that. Uh, You add in that she also added – spoke about before the Olympics even started how she wasn't sure if she wanted to do this year. You know, she's 24. Yeah, the additional
1: year that got put on her. Yeah, Yeah.
0: 24 is, you know, not – for every other sport, 24 is young. For gymnastics, 24 is this is it. This is the last ride. You're back in. Yeah, like – so – You add that in, and then she added in the reason she did it, was she is the last person on U.S. Gymnastics who was a part of the Larry Nassar abuse stuff. And so she felt like if she didn't participate, there was the potential, or wasn't on the gymnastics team, that there was this potential that it would just kind of get swept under the rug and forgotten about. And she didn't want that. And so, I mean, that's that's hectic in the sense that like, not only are you competing for your country, for gold, for all that glory, but also to kind of shed light on, Hey, the yeah. the people I'm working for didn't take care of us, hold them accountable. like, yeah. And that's a whole other thing. Um, but
1: I mean, you could say Simone put some of this and you're not saying this, I'm saying people out there was like Simone, you know, she's the one that has Facebook following her around for this TV show. She's the one that's in all these commercials, but like, we expect that from her and she doesn't owe us anything, but we no. expect to see her. We expect to see that gold medal gymnast and all the ads. We expect to see that gold medal swimmer and all the ads. And we, and we generally do. And so there's the pressure there. And even though she says yes, and cashes the check that doesn't make it, you know, that she can't do that. I mean, and also, I mean, money's being thrown over expectations. You're the face of gymnastic, there is expectation there and it, it is put on her. So it, it's not all her, you know, uh, buying into it. And so I think this is another time yeah, there's how many stories that we talked about in the last year and a half that you, you got to have to shut up and learn a little bit and shut up and listen. And I, and I was listening to Tony Kornheiser talking about it with Mike Wilbon. I think it was on actually PTI. He's like, this is, this is not a story I am used to hearing. you know, it was always you tough it out. You do whatever you got to do to tough it out. But like, we're changing and we need to understand how this is different. And you're, you're ignoring the fact that she's been toughing it out. You're you're ignoring the fact that to get to this point, she's been toughing it out. She's toughed through the 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 mental lapses and everything to get to this point. And she, it just couldn't take any more. This wasn't all of a sudden she's can't tough it out. It's that she's maxed it. She's done all she can. And so uh, she's, I mean, she's an Olympic hero from what she's done previously. She's already you know, put her face on Mount Rushmore of, of, of world gymnastics, much less U.S. gymnastics, you know, this was icing on the top. And so the fact that we didn't get everything we expected to out of the icing, we can all just go kick rocks and, and accept what we've got. And it's and still she's the greatest. And we don't we don't need to talk about debating that. We can just acknowledge that now she's also leading a charge in a different way. And, that, and it's it's going to be great for future athletes.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. I think this is a change that, like you said, and like Tony said, you might not be used to it, but I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad a bad right. change. Um, we heard Dak Prescott talk about it a little bit, yeah, and then we heard uh, Skip Bayless's insane comments, and there are people. It's not it's not many, but there are people, you know, going after Simone Biles saying that you have to suck it up and just do it, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, all right, well. I guess I don't see you out there doing it. So, and
1: right. you see the. I, though, I wonder if those guys watch the video. of Her doing the, you know, flipping off and not being able to land what she's doing. She's like coming down on her chest, like not even close. Like yeah,
0: and there's padding there to help her because it's a, when it's a practice. That. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's it's aggravating, and it's also assuming that like okay, I've never had a tough day and just said you know what, I'm gonna call out today. I'm not going to go to work, or I you know what. I'm not feeling, not feeling it. I'm not going to do this thing I said I was going to do. Yeah. So, and if, you know what, if those people have never done that, then you know what, great for you. I guess you're the alpha male or whatever. But um, I I think that. It doesn't
1: make you better. Yeah. And that's, that's the same yeah,
0: need... <laughs> I, I think that being more cognizant of people's mental health is something that we need to do better and sports culture is going to be one of the last places that that probably gets through because especially, and it, you know, I talked about this, I think when we had a phone conversation about it, I was curious cause I, I felt like most of the people who had been commenting were supportive of Simone Biles. Yeah. Her Olympic athletes, fellow Olympic athletes are supportive of Simone Biles and that's great. That's awesome. Um, and I think I said to you, I was like, I wonder if Tom Brady, like right before the Super Bowl, was like, look, I, I can't. I'm just not there mentally. I can't do this. Would we have the same reaction? And I think football is going to be like that sport that is yeah. like last, absolute last to the table. The closest in to caveman status. Sport yeah. We have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. The kind of sport that already has other kind of talking points that I think are ridiculous versus reality. But I just, I, I wonder if, if we would be treating it the same way. I hope we would. I don't know if we would, Um, I think there's a gender dynamic there too. Yeah. That probably plays a factor, but you know, this actually just came out, uh, I think today, Christian Pulisic, uh, American soccer player, who actually we'll talk about us soccer here more in detail in a minute, but, uh, talked about his mental health struggles and he has been reaching out and talking to therapists and saying, you know, we need to get rid of this stigma and make it okay. And, just let people know like this is okay and it it's helped me and you know that's these athletes sometimes we forget and I'm guilty of it too at times where I just watch them and especially if they're on the Orioles or you know Virginia Tech at times and they're letting me down I forget that they're people too and I'm just like what is wrong with you you suck it yeah. off the field I never see you again They should live in a box yeah. or something like that yeah Well those are umpires <laughs> and that's a different story um but they're not umpires are not people but um no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, ship them, put them in a rocket ship, send them to the sun or whatever I might yeah. say on this podcast. So. uh, and, and some most of that is in jest, I mean, most of that is yes. just frustration. And if I ever saw them, we'll I'm sure they're good people. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they're good people. Like, I'm sure Chris Davis is a great human being. I've been told by the Orioles reporters that he is. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but. Sometimes when when they're telling you, like, hey, this is, I'm going through this, like, you kind of just need to take them at their word. This isn't really something that, like, I don't think Simone Biles, like, messed up during her routine and was like, oh, I know the perfect excuse. Like, that's not a thing. So I think, like, you just have to understand, this is not something someone is going to volunteer, like, super casually. It's it's something that is super private and is super – still very you know judged even though it's not nearly as judged today as it was even five years ago there's still people out there who like we've said are still going after Simone Biles saying oh you gotta be better you gotta be better um
1: I don't we act like this is the first time we're hearing this LeBron James multiple years in a row took the end of January off like he was having a vacation every year it was and yeah I mean I think it was referenced then as like a mental health getaway now you look at an 82 game NBA season and you think, okay, that's you know, <laughs> you know, it goes to the argument that the NBA season's too long and why are they doing this. But like, this isn't the first we've seen of this, and and so I I think we need to accept this, like we are. We're also going to understand though, just like players that get injured time after time. If if you're going to have mental health needs time after time, like it is going to go into a factor of. Yeah, what
0: what they can and do, what they can. and
1: what mm-hmm. they can do. It's gonna be part of that. Do they have weak knees? Do they have weak mental health? It's gonna be factored in. But he, right now, we're really understanding a lot more about it and, and getting to see that. And and it's because of Simone Biles, you know, being brave enough to protect herself. I mean, it, you know, she's she's gonna be twenty feet in the air when she has her mental lapse, not dribbling a basketball. And so right. it, it is a bit different.
0: And I guess this will spin into my next Olympics thing I wanted to get into. Yeah. Uh, was the women's soccer losing to Canada. And just sure. the sheer number of quote-unquote patriots that took a victory lap on uh, our women's like soccer team yeah. losing and having a rough Olympics in general. But just being like, oh, see, this is what happens. This is great. This is I love this. Blah, blah, blah. And these are the people who will tell you that they're the biggest patriots of us all. And I just think that goes... Whenever someone's trying to tell you how big of a patriot they are, they're probably not that big of a patriot. They're probably big on themselves, and that's about it. And so I, to those people, uh, go bleep yourself. You should be shipped to the sun, and I'm not going to joke about that. You're the worst of us in this country for the most part. And I, I don't have time for that. Like when there's a quote-unquote news organization... Taking a victory lap on our women's soccer team losing and trying to make it about, oh, that shows you for standing up for equality for other people. Yeah, what terrible human beings they are. So glad they lost a sporting event
1: because they cared about someone other than themselves. Jeez, the nerve. And it's been coming. I mean, it was before the Olympics, even before they played their first game at the Olympics, there was already the they want them to lose because for those same reasons. So yeah, they're taking their victory. It's, it's ridiculous coming, coming off of that, uh, which is more meaningful in all honesty. This is, I love watching the U S women's soccer. Their biggest trophy is the world cup. And they've been very successful at obtaining that cup. Every time this is one of those sports I was talking about last week. When, when this, when this Olympic gold medal, isn't the top pinnacle of your sport. I do find myself, worried about it less and, and it's not as a much appointment viewing. And if it's on the TV, I'm walking away easier. Um, not saying I didn't want them to win. I'm disappointed. They didn't win, but I'm also like them. It's, it's not, they didn't just fall short for the biggest trophy that they could get. And so I, I guess I'm just, I shucks for America, like every other event row boating down the middle of the water and they don't win gold shucks. But I also, you know, it's not keeping me up at night and uh, not not that the World Cup, not that any sports keep me up at night, that much Should. anymore. But <laughs> sometimes Virginia Tech football does. But, uh, but you know, telling you I he's do not care more. If the USA women come up short in a World Cup, I'm going to care more then. And that's because it means more to them. And so for the exact same reason. You also, this was kind of
0: a, a farewell tournament for a lot of players yeah. who are older. I
1: was surprised Rapino was still playing.
0: Yes. Um, there's going to be a bit of a changing of the guard for the next World Women's World Cup. And that's fine i i we're gonna the the u s women's national team is not gonna go anywhere. they're not gonna all of a sudden become irrelevant and struggle to get out of a group in the women's World Cup and look no, foolish yeah um
1: they're not the u s a men
0: no well, you say that, but we'll talk about them in a second and what they accomplished <laughs> last night um what
1: they've been doing,
0: but they th- this is a team that frankly went in there a little little older than they probably should have. And like you said, for better or worse, the Olympics is not the pinnacle of of competition in women's national team soccer or men's national team soccer for that matter. Right. Um so they came up short. It's not what they wanted, it's not what we wanted uh as a country, but or at least those of us who actually love the United States and not pretend. Um and so it's disappointing, but as you said. Uh, I think is if they can come back and win the women's world cup, the next go around, they'll be happy. They'll take that. yep They'll be there.
1: Uh, the other sports I wanted to talk about. Uh, let's talk about the one that's getting done before we talk about the one that's getting going swimming wrapped up, you know, Dressel had a lot of pressure on him. He mm-hmm. he was racing four different races uh, in the shadow of Michael Phelps and what he's coming off doing in these in, in the Olympics over the last decade. Plus he was four for four. Golds in all of them. I, you can't ask for anything more out of that. He was an absolute star in the pool. Very cool to watch. You know, there's the comparisons to Phelps and saying that he might be better. I, I don't know. You know, it, I'm so... You keep seeing these people that are the best that we've ever seen. We see, um, you know, Katie Ledecky in the pool. We see Simone Biles. We see, you know, getting outside of the Olympics. These greatest ever that's happened during our generation here, and you start to wonder, I mean, am I just a prisoner of the moment? Are these really the best? But So I, I initially, I think on all of them, give them, uh, you know, let's let's wait a second before we anoint them the next best when we just saw the best. Um, And that's where I'm at with Dressel. And we'll see, he's going to have another Olympics to start to prove that really. And then an Olympics after that (laughs) to see if actually that's what it is. So we got time, we got eight years before we, we know the answer to this and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it happen. It's fun to watch. It's fun to see. Um, He's in the prime. So it'll be fun to watch um, just moving and keep moving that conversation with the swimming. As announcers for me and you, I I enjoy Rowdy gangs. I yeah. enjoy the color commentator for the swimming. He is the most prepared color commentator that I can think of, and I'm not saying there's a slew of them out there. All all color commentators at the top level are completely prepared and everything. This guy is screaming excitement because he cares so much about the. US swimming, but also at the same time, just spitting out the most random of stats, uh, numbers down to the hundredth on splits in a pool in semifinals only. Like, I mean, it's so crazy how prepared he is in the moment during these, you know, 30 second races or, you know, 40 second splits on these relay races. It's just amazing how he's able. Um, to do this, all, all the while giving so much emotion, giving so much personality, and really making it fun to watch. I, I love that guy.
0: Yeah, I think Ratty Gaines is great at his job. I, I love watching swimming. I wish I was able to watch more of it this year. Unfortunately, baseball yeah. season conflicted with most of that. Um, but
1: well, that's what I, I to wanted to, it, to touch In on. Honestly, you know, when I was listening to you on VBL, oh yeah, but, I mean, when there was a race going on, I'm cutting it down, so I'm listening to Ratty Gaines during the race. Not that he doesn't do a great job between races. But that was that's the emotion I want to hear. So, but I mean, he was must listen Olympic viewing right now. You had to hear him during the races.
0: But to go back on your greatest of all time stuff, you know, I think you and I talked about we we looked at Simone Biles and yes, most decorated Olympian. For Dressel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and with Dressel, yeah, he still has Phelps to catch on the men's side. I think before oh, yeah. before I consider him greatest. And I, for that matter female side Katie Ledecky yeah. I, you know for her and Phelps are up for debate in my opinion because Katie sure. Ledecky in Phelps won medals at an incredible rate um but he wasn't blowing his competition out in the way that Katie Ledecky has blown
1: her competition out I particularly mean particularly a long distance yeah.
0: yeah long distance swims there are races where Katie Ledecky is getting out of the pool and the other swimmers are like okay I still got to finish like yeah it's insane so uh that's what i would say for dressel that's that's the bar right is is Lodeki and phelps so hopefully he is as good and we can that'd be
1: awesome that would be awesome
0: it would be more medals for us in swimming
1: (laughs) you're gonna keep betting betting those medals gotta beat those aussies
0: yep and the russian (laughs) the russian olympic committee and all their steroids
1: they're not really russia (laughs) apparently Apparently. Um, but that's been going on. I There's a lot of people surprised about that right now. I, the I ROC was I the last
0: that. one, and I think it was the one before as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's just
0: it's more of the same. More.
1: I mean, you're still talking these worldwide s- sports. I mean, it's just like FIFA and the World Cup and the Olympic. Like, there's so much stuff. There's so much stuff that you just can't even. You, you just if you want to enjoy it, you're going to have to ignore some stuff. It's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, all right, men's and women's uh, track have gotten out there. They've, they were starting that up as the pool was closing down, and uh, they've already got both the 100 races out of the way, uh, and those are kind of the, the feature races um, for any track and field um, competition. Those 100s are always the most hyped. They're usually scheduled in a way that they're the most hyped. And then what, what stood out to me was the show that was put on for these. I watched them over the weekend, Saturday night and Sunday night, um, the women's and the men's. I mean, they had a whole light show going. You know what they do on the NBA court before these games with the light show? They had that going on in the track outside in Tokyo, and it was incredible. And they have the whole stadium dark, and then they have the light show going on for that 100 meters in front of where they're going to run, and they have the light shining just on the runner. It's just incredible the amount of effort they put into it. It really stood out. Uh, and then, and then the races lived up the women's race. Um, we talked about, um, Shikari Richardson, not being able to race we've talked about in the past. Uh, she was very cool about it, tweeting, um, after these races and, and showed some support for the, those that were able to compete. Jamaica though, swept all three medals because they're just dominant in women's track, especially in the short distance. We could have been in there somewhere. Um, You know, you hope gold, but we could have been in there somewhere. I wish we were able to see that. We didn't, but it was a good show nonetheless. And then on the men's side, you know, they were hyping uh, from Canada, a runner. They were hyping our American runner. Uh, There was still one of the guys from Jamaica that was always finishing behind Bolt in there. They weren't talking about Italy at all. And then all of a sudden, Italy wins with this runner who does not look the part even. I mean, he looks closer to being... Uh, Dwayne Johnson and he looks closer to being uh, Usain Bolt I mean he just real muscular tall guy and he ran the quickest I mean he's the you know fastest man on earth is what the title you get uh, when you win these uh, 100 so it was awesome to see that and uh, when when the race finishes or those last couple steps and you're like whoa that's always a fun uh, fun race in the Olympics so uh, a lot of fun to watch a lot more fun races this week uh, going on, you'll get the 200s and the 400s and the relays. The 100 relays is always a uh, super fun race to watch. So, a lot to look forward to there in the track. Yep, and you'll be able to watch it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, well, I guess I've said it all for the Olympics, but uh, definitely looking forward to that this week. All right, the other big topic that it continues I mean, this is the most talked about thing in sports right now in this area. Uh, everywhere I go, this is the conversation I'm having with friends and at work. Is this college football conference realignment? The uh, where we are at today. <laughs> Texas and Oklahoma have received, officially received, the invite from the SEC. They got the unanimous invite. So someone took Tex- Texas A&M into the back room and whipped them together and uh, mm. said, "Hey, we're going to make more money from this. So shut up and let's make this unanimous." And i uh, i guess it's not Jimbo uh, Jimbo Fisher, but you know Jimbo Fisher's bosses did shut up. They got the unanimous. So that's happening wherever, whatever hesitation we had last week talking about this happening. It is absolutely happening with Texas and Oklahoma going in. I think we felt that last week, but it is even more so official. And so now really how does the SEC position their conference to be played? And then what happens to these other conferences continue to dominate the news cycle about who's talking to who, is the ACC talking to West Virginia because West Virginia wants to come? Is the ACC talking to Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State doesn't want to stay in the Big 12? What does the Big 12 do? Is this the end of the Big 12? What did ESPN do to cause all this? And why did the why is the Big 12 getting a shaft? Well, it's because there's not Big 12 games on ESPN. It's it's just I it's the story I'm sick of hearing about for the last decade plus that I can't hear enough about. Like, I still click on every story that comes on my Twitter feed that says something that I haven't already read. Uh, even the stupid headlines that you get out of SEC fan sites that are just trash. And you can tell by the end of the first paragraph, oh, this is trash. Um, it's just it's just one of those, it's the National Enquirer of, of sports stories because you just have so much news being thrown at it and you don't know what's real and what's not. And I want it to be over, but then I do wonder what then what will I read if if it's over?
0: <laughs> right, and I think you know the interesting part about that, as you touched on, was Oklahoma and Texas. That's what we know. They are invited to the SEC. Yeah.
1: got to start with that.
0: They will almost a hundred percent sure they will accept it and go. And then what does that do with the Big Twelve? The, the commissioner of the Big 12 writing a cease and desist letter to ESPN, ESPN saying, what are you talking about? We didn't have anything to do with this, which I don't really know if I believe 100%. Don't but, believe it at all. Um, there's another part of me that, you know, I, I've been listening. Uh, you know, I brought it up here. We talked about it with Patrick last week, I think, um, that we listen. Patrick and I listened to Levitard, and one of the people they've had on is John Skipper, who used to run ESPN. And is been a very interesting person to listen to talk about this conference realignment talk. And Skipper
1: is amazing to listen to. He's on. Uh, I listened to him on other podcasts with Richard Deitch. Yeah, and uh, he's he's really interesting to listen to. But he had been saying, you
0: know, like well, the last time for ESPN, it really they really didn't want the Big 12 to drop because at the time they had a deal with the Big 12. And so they realized, like, if we give Texas the Longhorn Network, that makes them enough money to where leaving the Big 12 doesn't make sense. So they did that. That's something that happened, and it kept Texas in the Big 12. Um, Then you look at... He's also talked about, you know, what the SEC will do what other conferences will do who they'll target and who they won't target and why and so because one of the people on there is like well you know the ACC you know UCF is a big time program and uh I can't remember the other name he threw out there Coastal Carolina maybe and then he says you know what about Clemson and Florida State for the SEC and blah 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 and Miami for the SEC and you know, John Skipper just very point blank throughout there. He's like, I don't think any team from the ACC is going to go to the SEC unless it's a North Carolina or a Duke or an NC State or a Wake Forest. He goes, and two of those won't get invites. He goes, really, the only one that potentially could get an invite because the SEC is so football-heavy is North Carolina right now. And he said, the only reason I say that is because it's a new state. He goes, new state means new TV. Yeah. Viewers means new deals. He goes right now, he goes, you already have schools in Florida that doesn't add anything. So the SEC is not going to go there. They have South Carolina, not going to add a Clemson. Um, and then for the ACC, you know, he was saying, he's like, you know, people are talking about West Virginia. He goes, not really a big deal there. Doesn't really bring anything to the table. Probably not likely. Uh, and he has brought up Oklahoma State. Cincinnati obviously hoping they would bring in Notre Dame
1: well Notre Dame's the number one
0: but yeah yeah so uh and then the Big Ten you know you're looking at some of the same schools you're looking at Kansas because the Big Ten also factors in basketball a little more than the SEC uh and then the Pac-12 but two of the things he has talked about that I think have been super disappointing for me um one of which he talked about last week and one of which he talked about this week. Uh, But the one was when these super conferences are done, let's say we have four 16-team super conferences. He goes, you know what number that is? That's 64. There is nothing (laughs) keeping these four super conferences from looking at the men's basketball tournament and saying, you know what? We're out. And they form their own 64 – they play a regular season, seed the 64 teams, and then play the 64-team tournament with everybody in. He said there is nothing stopping them from doing that. And it sucks because that would be viewed as the national champion, right? Because that's where your Dukes, your Kansases, your Kentuckys, all that is. But that hurts a Gonzaga. That hurts a Butler. That hurts all the teams that you fall in love with, the Cinderella's that pull off these upsets. That's all gone. If they do that. So I'm really hoping against hope that that's not something that happens. But I also understand football's driving that bus. Football's driving that bus. And if, if these conferences think they can make more money, they'll do it in a heartbeat. So yeah. there's and nothing see, stopping them from bringing it to less. basketball. And the other thing he are brought up was pay
1: less for the basketball tournament. They're just still going to pay. big Yeah. Money.
0: Well, and that's what he said. He said, eventually, and he thinks the reason you're seeing these long-term contracts, right? Why the sec, ESPN deal doesn't expire until 2035. Why the ACC is not going to expire until 2033. Why all these other conferences aren't going to expire until like the mid 30s, late 30s. And he goes, and even some of these professional deals with the NBA and the NFL, Major League Baseball, like the ones that are coming up are going to be super long contracts because they know cord cutting is only going to increase. Yeah. And so this is probably the last huge grab of cash before they have to figure out another platform. Yep. And he, the one he brought up that was the scariest to me was he goes, the, these leagues are going to have to come up with that money somewhere else and they might start going behind pay-per-views. He goes, the Super Bowl might be a pay-per-view yep. event. And I was like, yeah. that would kill me. I would hate that.
1: I've only been a part like of one pay-per-view in my life <sighs> and I regretted it. I would pay – I know I would be part of a Super Bowl get. I know that. I'm not lying to myself. You get a lot of families that cut the Super Bowl on, and that's the only football game that's on in their house a year. You're going to lose that if it's pay-per-view. You, don't, you turn to a network television channel right now that's easy to get to for a Super Bowl right now, and you're going to lose that if it's pay-per-view. The, so I,
0: the I one just thing- worry
1: about that for their sake.
0: The one thing that makes me wonder it would have to be the ad revenue money or expected ad revenue would have to disappear too. Because if it's a pay per view, people are not going to pay you seventy dollars no. to watch a game and then also get fed commercials. They no. will they will go to Roger Goodell's office or oh, probably not Roger Goodell, but whoever the commissioner is at the time at Park Avenue and burn the office to the ground. I mean, they will do some serious harm to someone if they have if they're put through that. So yep. I'm hoping that's not going to be a thing. I'm hoping that's John Skipper looking too far into the future and things change before then.
1: Yeah, he's um, a smart dude.
0: But he is, yeah. And he's he knows because he's been involved in these kind of yep. conversations before.
1: Jumping back, um, I think that kind of hit on a lot of the other stories they were talking about. Let's go back to the front. The SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas. Um. You know, what, what does that do for these schools? What does that do for these conference during this weird transition time? And, and then moving forward also. I think the, an interesting tweet that I saw, and I just sent it to you because uh, I didn't want you to stewing on it all week. Yeah. Um, how many national titles do Oklahoma and Texas win their first decade in the SEC? And so it's A, none, B, one to two, C, three to four, and D, five. I know your answer. I knew it when I saw the tweet. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna frame this a little bit for our listeners. This is assuming I, 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 very much say this doesn't even start until 2025. At this point, we're not expecting them to be out into the sec until 2025. Mm-hmm. You know, they got a picture of lane, uh, not Lane Kiffin, um Lincoln, Lincoln Riley and, um, Chard- Tom Herman. That's not Tom Herman. It's uh, Steve Sarkeesian.
0: Yes. Forgot they switched coaches. Yeah. Yep.
1: Steve Sarkeesian, those are the two coaches there. I would I would bet more on Steve Sarkeesian because he just got there, and Lincoln Riley. I've already heard flirting with NFL jobs before. Um, so, are those coaches even there? How do these teams even change before you get there? What does recruiting do for these teams as they? I mean, are you? <laughs> you know what what what's your power in the, in the meantime? So I think there's so many things to throw into that, but framing all that outside of those first initial thoughts, where these programs are joe i know your answer is zero zero because you have no faith in oklahoma and you and texas honestly doesn't deserve a lot of faith i choose b just because it's i feel like this is betting the field like uh, like at some point I, I can't rule out the fact that texas and oklahoma do pull in good recruits as is you know in the Big 12 that we don't give a lot of respect, they pull in big-time recruits. They're they're going to have more pools of recruits, even better. They're going to have better inroads in Florida and Georgia and, and and Alabama, even, than they've had before. So I just can't can be convinced 10 years into them being in the SEC that one of those two teams can't win one title uh, when they have won titles before in recent times, and I, I just can't rule it out. Could it be zero? Yeah. I I understand why you say zero because you expect Alabama to still be good. But when I see that LSU and Auburn have won national titles in the last 15 years, why couldn't it be an Oklahoma or a Texas? If you're bringing it in, you know, when they brought Missouri in, I I would never have argued that Missouri was going to win a national title just because they got brought into the SEC. But with the resources and everything dumped in, To Texas and Oklahoma, I I would give them a. I I would kind of just. I would say it's more likely than less likely that one of those two teams is able to at least get one title.
0: I'll tell you why, they won't because I think Auburn and LSU, even when they're not better than Alabama, are still better than Oklahoma. So I think Oklahoma has to beat five SEC teams that I don't think they can beat. No, I think they have to beat Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, Texas A and M. I don't – that's six right there. I don't know if they could beat any of those six. I just don't think they're that good. I don't respect Oklahoma.
1: So, Nick Saban will be 79 years old in 10 years. You think he's still coaching in 10 years?
0: No, but I think Kirby Smart is. Yeah. I think your boy at Florida who you hate is.
1: Oh, I hate that guy. I don't have as much respect for him. And Kirby Smart, I at least, thinks better than him. Um – yeah I don't know i i just not gonna I just wouldn't if I had to put my money in I'm not saying three or four and I'm not saying five or more, but my goodness no, I would say Alabama could have a chance of having five or more in that in those ten years. Um, but I also think the landscape will change and and I, I think that's yeah, but, where I'm getting high up right now is the next five years before the change actually happens how how does what does that mean to all this? I, I, but I think the landscape changes and and who which one of these younger guys when does Kirby smart say? I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to go. Get I don't that think Kirby Smart wants to go to the NFL. I'm going to stop sitting in people's family rooms, and I'm going to go to the, or, you know, or or Will Muschamp or Dabo Sweeney. Like when when did one of those guys choose to go to the NFL? So I, I think the landscape changes, and so I would just hate to rule out the chance of one of these historically good top programs that dump all kinds of resources into their football teams that they they couldn't win one title between them.
0: Let me tell you why I don't think they will. I'm not saying it's never going to happen where a coach leaves an SEC team and goes to the NFL again. But
1: I think it's Nick Saban,
0: I think that was a lesson, right? When you're in the SEC, if you're at a, if you're successful there, you are God in that town. You can do no wrong. It does not matter what you do. You are God. If you go to the NFL, you are just another dude, and you can't do what you did in the SEC.
1: But which one of these guys – yeah, so Ed Argeron did it, and we've had two different coaches at Auburn able to overcome Saban's you know evil empire and win a national title. And they are not the going to go to the NFL. When when does one of these guys? When does Will Muschamp bash his head into the wall six more times and finally say, "I'm gonna, I'm tired of sitting in these living rooms and and losing these guys to Alabama. I'm gonna go draft. I'm gonna go draft Alabama's players and and win at Tennessee or, or you know some, They're not going some to. NFL team. The answer is
0: never. Dabo Sweeney, never going to go to the NFL.
1: I don't think Dabo does. I really don't. I agree with Kirby you. Kirby Smart,
0: never going to go to the NFL. Kirby Smart loves the college game. He's built for the college game. Will Muschamp is too dumb to go coach in the pros, so he loves the college game. <laughs> that makes me think he's going sooner. But <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I just I think you're, you're right. The, co- the landscape is going to change between now and 2025.
1: USC used to be the unbeatable. I mean, they were never going to oh, come Oh, sure, up. sure. We're going to be so tired of USC, and, and then...
0: But then Pete Carroll left, and that's fine. But Pete Carroll, the West Coast is different, right? It's different. It's not the South. It's not the SEC. In the SEC, college football in that part of the country is bigger than pro football. It is what those places are all about.
1: From listening to Feinbaum, you still get crazy people. I mean, there was a guy on Feinbaum's show, which did get met with. That guy's nuts. But, like, what is three more years if Georgia still hasn't overcome and still hasn't got a national title game or, or won a national title? Like, do they push Kirby Smout on their own because of the fans rioting at the door? That's the problem. Like as long as Saban's still there, you, you think he's continuing that and, and you're still giving respect to some of these other guys. You know, I read something the other day where it was the top five lists for college football, who has the most pressure on them. And like three of the guys had LSU on there and not saying hot seat. They're saying pressure. But when does pressure turn into hot seat? Because those same pressure lists had Scott Frost on it and Fuente. So there's different ways of looking at pressure. But when does pressure turn into hot seat, especially in the South, where unless you win that national championship, what have you done? You you have not got us what you're hired to do. Well, by that logic. It's a different pressure in the South. As the South is different, it's a different pressure. By that
0: logic, Lincoln Riley will be toast before he even goes to the SEC then. If it's
1: 2025, I, I think that guy's going to the NFL. I
0: do think that guy. I to the NFL. I think he'll go to the NFL too, but we won't see uh, Sarkeesian in the SEC by that logic. I mean, I, look, the landscape is going to change
1: yeah, from 2025. I,
0: yes. If here's the thing, I don't think but they're going to the wait till Georgia 2025. Coach got sent to Miami. Yeah, I also like don't tired. think. I also think it's going to be before 2025 that these teams bounce out of the big twenty. I, I, I honestly agree with that. So 10 years into the SEC, though, I agree that it's going to be different, but it's going to be worse for Oklahoma and Texas. Because I don't – because of those reasons I just said, it's going to be hard to convince recruits to go to Oklahoma when you're just an average SEC team. It's going to be hard to convince teams and te- people to go to Texas when you're not even the best team in Texas
1: in that conference. So uh, – They already get pretty darn good recruiting classes in comparison – to those schools and produce NFL talent out of those schools.
0: Well, what are they doing with it now?
1: I mean, the same thing everybody but Alabama and and Ohio State and Clemson are doing. Texas is doing worse. Texas is not
0: not good. Texas is not a team that has threatened for a Big 12 title in a long time.
1: Oklahoma certainly has.
0: Oklahoma has won Big 12 titles, but I think when they go in the SEC and then they're getting – the crap kicked out of them and they're not going to the playoff, I think it, that all of a sudden that gets to be a harder move.
1: The, the crap kicking has been more so these last couple years than than before that. I, I guess I just don't rule out the fact that they can't be competitive again. When they, they played Georgia freaking tight in a Rose Bowl not that long ago with Lincoln Riley as coach. And then Georgia played Alabama freaking tight in a national championship game. Like the spread wasn't as wide there. These last couple, these last two Oklahoma trips have been poorer than that. Yeah, but that's one game.
0: Like, if Oklahoma has to play Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, and they lose three of those games, they're toast. They're out. Deuces, we'll talk to you next year. You suck. And then those are three programs that they are competing with in conference that can look at those kids and say, why would you ever go there? They got embarrassed. They couldn't win anything in a playoff. And now they're in our conference and they'll never get what to
1: any, but the other South Carolina still gets good recruits. I mean, ten, like other teams still get top some top guys. It's just Alabama gets 40 of them, but, yeah, they, but these other programs you're talking about South year. Carolina, and Tennessee
0: have a long way year. to go before they're any form of relevant in the SEC. I,
1: I, I do wonder if it starts like if these are two more teams that have a better potential of spreading tail and out, than previous editions like Missouri, maybe not Texas A and M, but but I, Texas is gonna can can out recruit Texas A and M. They are capable of that. You can't say they will never do that. Like
0: it's been a if while.
1: Has a little bit of success right now, not in the SEC, and kind of builds that back up. Like you're gonna be you can be pulling in good recruits and rolling into the SEC with better guys.
0: It's been a while. Texas A and M would have won the Big Twelve if they were in the Big Twelve. I think the last two years.
1: I mean, we just act like no one plays at Oklahoma. They had two straight Heisman players. I mean, Baker Mayfield was the quarterback when they played Georgia tight out there. It wasn't Do you that want me to go back? The last was competing against the, SEC. the last two trips for Oklahoma have been poor. I said that the very first statement, but like it wasn't that long ago, Oklahoma was on the field with a top level SEC team.
0: Do it. But do you want to go back when we're talking about regular season Big 12 football and how great the defenses are there? I mean, how hard They're is it to win a Heisman good, Trophy that, when the defensive back probably can't even read a book, let alone another offense?
1: But that year wasn't any different. Big 12 hasn't played defense for 15 years. That year, Oklahoma was doubted being in that in that, in that Sugar, uh, not Sugar Bowl Rose Bowl against Georgia for that reason, and they played right with them. And it was a shootout. And, and honestly, it was just one of those games that came down to the final possession. So I'm just not going to be convinced like in 10 year period of time Oklahoma can't be competitive in that league. I'm not going to be convinced that Texas can't be competitive in that league with the amount of resources they throw at that, them being Texas, and if they have a little bit of if they can have an upswing before they get in there, I think it's possible. I'm not guaranteeing it by any means, but I think it's I think it's I think it's a little foolish to rule it out. I think I think to say it can't happen is is more foolish than me saying it could happen.
0: Well, in 10 years when they haven't done it, we'll talk and then
1: we will. Right. We'll argue about it like multiple times between. And, now then, and then you'll tell
0: me they're five years <laughs> away. I mean, they're Oklahoma <laughs> and they're Texas. I mean, yeah. Look, Oklahoma's only made three playoff appearances in this ten years, but I mean, they're Oklahoma.
1: You act like they got blown out by fifty in each and every one of them, and that's not. Texas that's might not make
0: zero playoff appearances in ten years. How about Texas that?
1: Texas is the one I am more. I'm weaker about. There's there's weakness on both sides. I have my where I would hold Oklahoma back, where is I don't think this head coach will be there. Who's their next hire? Like, I don't think I don't think Lincoln Riley will coach a game in the SEC, even if they get in there early. I, st- I still don't think he'll coach a game in the SEC. So I like I am. I have that hesitation. But it's Oklahoma that and then Texas. Like, I think Sarkisian's a pretty good coach. I think he's made corrections to his personal behavior to to allow him to be better than what he was. There's a reason he was hired at USC to be the head coach out there. And I think that other stuff was getting in his way. And I think there's a reason that Alabama allowed him on the staff and he did a good job while he was there in the role he was in. And I and, and I I think that's why he's getting the opportunity he is now, not that Texas always makes perfect hires. I just think, like, he is a pretty good coach and I think he might have some success here. So, like, I, I just, I think there's a chance. To say zero, I think, just makes it like there's no chance. And so that's not where I'm at for them. And you are, and that's fine. And that's why we do this podcast, because we argue about some basic stuff sometimes. All right. (laughs) Baseball, real quick here. The biggest news of the week uh, was the trade deadline. And that meant the Cubs and Nationals unloaded every name that at least the casual fan knows of. Uh, The Cubs getting rid of Chris Bryant and uh, Baez and... Everybody, guys I'm forgetting in a moment. The Nationals, they let go of Scherzer and Turner in one shot to uh the Dodgers after Scherzer was seemingly going to the Padres. Um so it, it just was a crazy uh little unload for some very popular teams, for teams that have won the World Series in the last 5 years, the Cubs 5 years ago, Nationals only 2 years ago and and they just blew it up. So, um And all these big hitters that just went all hit homers in their first game at the new at the new team. Schwarber at Boston and and uh, Turner for the Dodgers and uh, Baez had a homer in his in his first game. I think Brian did, too. So it was a very interesting trade trade deadline. How does the trade deadline adds, I guess, kind of change your outlook at the end of the season? I mean, the Dodgers. I mean, they're they got better.
0: Mm -hmm. They have a
1: lot of shortstops. But what do you how does it kind of change your attitude on the outlook of the end of the season? I think
0: it is the Dodgers got a lot better. I felt that well, I don't know about a lot, but they they improved. Yeah. I think Scherzer was a really important addition for them given that Trevor Bauer's probably not gonna pitch the rest of the year. So that's Certainly. a Cy Young quality pitcher that's not going to be on the team, which I agree. Good. Um, Trey Turner is a good addition for them. I do wonder. Of,
1: who are they putting? I mean, yeah, I do wonder with them
0: there. I, I do wonder where you put him because they don't have a DH. So there's only you yeah. can only hit so many people um,
1: who's playing the outfield, which <laughs> like which one of those guys
0: brings me to the team whose moves made the least sense to me.
1: Yep. Here we go. This is what this is what I was trying to set up for.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't get the Yankee strategy.
1: No, they should have been sellers.
0: They add, they well, they sold like a minor piece, and then they add. Maybe that the pieces they got went to the Cubs and Rangers because they add Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, yeah. both of who hit home runs on their first night, and so Yankee fans are like, "Oh, we've got the greatest lineup in the history of baseball. We're the best ever." I'm like, cool, your, your pitching yeah. is still garbage, <laughs> which is going to be a problem. And because you were rumored to be in for Max Scherzer, which I thought was hilarious because I was like, and give the Nationals who in terms of prospects. But um, they, uh, they don't come away with any pitching to speak of. They add two boom or bust hitters, which basically is what their entire lineup already is. So, what they really need to do is add people who, you know, get on base. So, when those boomer bust hitters come up and they go boom, it's worth more than one. They did not do they that. They
1: already have so much boom in their lineup.
0: Yes, they did not do they that. Didn't. And tonight, they
1: didn't improve where they were weak.
0: Tonight, they take it on the chin against the Baltimore Orioles, 7-1. to 7-1, really? to one they got killed. The only highlight, if you're a Yankees fan, is apparently there was a cat running on the field. That's your highlight. The Orioles went out there and absolutely dunked on you because your boomer bust lineup went bust. Aaron Judge, I've got news for you, Yankees fans, bust. Giancarlo Stanton, huge bust. Anthony Rizzo, bust. Joey Gallo, bust. These are all people who will only have those home run numbers inflated because of the short portion, right? But when you have to go play your other 81 games are going to be a pain for you. They are not great additions. They do not make you a World Series team. I don't even think they make you a wild card team. I think the Yankees are going to miss the playoffs. And they gave up some of their prospects, which was incredibly, incredibly stupid.
1: I That's where I kind of came full circle and is where I liked it. Like I oh, I loved it. I loved it.
0: They sold.
1: Keep doing it. Yeah,
0: they were buyers. The Blue Jays were buyers. The Rays were buyers. The Red Sox were buyers. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is great. We already have the best farm system, probably, other than maybe the Rays. We already have one of the best farm systems in the division, if not the best, and all these people are selling. In two years, we are going to be B.A., and we are going to be absolutely mowing over the New York Yankees and their record-breaking strikeout. They might add a K in Yankees to represent how many strikeouts they're going to have in that lineup. And we are going to mow over them, and it's going to be so delicious. Tonight was great. During the interview, full disclosure, I mean, no disrespect, I loved our interview. It was an amazing interview, very knowledgeable stuff. But there was moments where I was looking at Twitter just to see how the game was going and just loving what I'm seeing from the New York contingent of Twitter or the Yankee – well, I shouldn't say New York because Yankee fans are all over – but. Because they're bandwagon fans, but them just them in Dallas, screaming. Yeah, some in LA with yes. purple and gold. Some screaming. Oh my gosh, we're losing to the Orioles. What is happening? Blow this team up. Blah blah. I'm like, that's weird. Because Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo were apparently going to be great. Uh, you want Anthony Rizzo to be great? Get a time machine. You want Joey Gallo to be great? Teach him how to get on base.
1: Well. You alluded to the interview. Let's get to that. Uh, We did record it before we started here tonight. We have Ryan Wiley uh, with S2 Cognition. A really interesting interview. We're excited for you guys to hear it. And uh, then we'll be back uh, after that interview with the D Block. All right, next on the X Sports Podcast, we welcome back Ryan Wiley for the second time from S2 Cognition. We might have been calling it sports sense last time, but this is the guy for our listeners that came on and talked about all the testing they do on athletes uh, for organizations to uh, analyze what these people have uh, going for them. And if they want them a part of the organization, uh, I'll I'll let him explain it more from that more and remind us what he does, but also talk about uh, as much specifics as he can. But Ryan, thanks for coming on to the podcast with us again. We're really excited to have you. Glad to be here, man. My, pre- my pleasure. Yeah. So when we first started talking about getting you back on, um, not that we needed a huge reason, but it was back around NFL draft. And I know that's probably the most popular draft, especially counting by ratings. That's the one everybody digs into. Uh, around that time, I saw your all's company name come up uh, about uh, Justin Fields for the Chicago Bears and how you guys <laughs> had kind of an impact on him being drafted by the Bears there. Uh, I thought that was cool to see out in Twitter. I, I think that's when I reached out to you. But, uh, yeah, tell us about that process or and, and that whole thing. So that was leaked. We don't know
2: where from, but it, it was not supposed to be leaked. But, um, but since a happy it was – <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so, you know, what, we measure what the brain is doing on the field. So you think about professional athletes, they're all big, fast, strong – specimens but what's separating why are guys in the right spot at the right time why are guys who excel who maybe aren't the most gifted physically still playing and you know the speed of the game it's fast for everybody but can your brain process that because we see a lot of guys who are physically gifted who just can't cut it in the nfl and they just they look good at the combine all the physical you know things are there i mean how many guys do you remember running the fastest 40 yard dash are in the NFL. And so, you know, our, we feel like our evaluation is just another piece of the puzzle. Cause obviously um, I could have high cognition and don't have any physical tools to play football, but you know, you got, it's a piece of the puzzle and we just measure, you know, the instincts and how quickly, you know, your brain can process information, track things, improvise movements, you know, how instinctive you are, that kind of stuff. And our, our teams take this pretty seriously. And so the Bears are a new team. And they, you know, obviously we have some data that show that, you know, a previous quarterback they selected pretty high did not do very well on our evaluation. And um, unfortunately it showed. And so they were very curious about Justin Fields and how, how well he did on our evaluation and the fact that he fell where he did and the fact that they, you know, traded up to get him at that spot. Um, they're, they're just ecstatic about it. And I just got some news. We got some uh, feedback from them and what they're seeing and how the report, um, is, you know, matches up to what they saw. And there, there was a little bit of discrepancy between, you know, scouts, you know, I, I, you know, can be a little skeptical of, you know, an evaluation being more about, you know, telling them more about what they see on the field and watching. But apparently our, our data is matching up a little bit more because the discrepancies there. So I thought it was kind of cool that they are really digging what they're seeing, which is actually to the bit, you know, benefiting them, you know, some of the things they saw that might not have worked out for him are actually not the case. And he's actually processing very well and very fast and effectively. So um, yeah, and that's just one of the examples that we have and our teams take this seriously and take this into consideration when they're drafting players. And we're seeing that all across the board. We work with seven teams now, um, in the NFL. So.
1: I just hope it's the Steelers. That's, that's my hope. So. You know
2: what? We, we do have, we've had plenty of talks with them. It just, it just, you know, obviously, you know, you get some people that are really pumped about it. We have some people that are excited about it, but it's just, it's everybody's got to be on board and the right people who make those decisions. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: (laughs) So. I want to ask a follow-up. I know you said seven NFL teams and I'm sure, I don't know if the NFL is like major league baseball where some of those don't want that out there cause they don't want other teams to know. But in terms of maybe a pick that wasn't a first round pick that you guys did an evaluation of who, who was just in this last draft that you think is going to surprise people that maybe wasn't a first round pick that they would be like, Oh, that guy's definitely gonna have
2: an impact right away. Ooh, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, um, all I got, I, I got to tell you what, uh, well, no, know he's a first, yeah, well, he was the, the, the tell you what, the, the quarterback that was selected by a team in the Bay Area are really, people were criticizing that, but they, they're in for a treat to see what that guy, okay. obviously all the pieces have to to fall in line but dude that guy it was pretty pretty stinking impressive what how he did on our about one of the you know higher we've ever you know we actually have joe burrow's evaluation his scores are actually on our website so his look like joe burrow's so we can talk okay. about joe burrow but joe burrow yep. did well did very well on it and this guy was pretty close so i mean so his fields was pretty close too but uh yeah you know there's always like some offensive linemen and guys that kind of fall under the radar, maybe because they're a little undersized and um, maybe they don't quite fit the mold. I mean, they're measuring their hand size, neck size, wrist size. I mean, they're all these physical tools, but, but yeah, there's some definitely some guys and they like to, a lot of our teams like to pick up some high cognitive free agents that go undrafted and they just, you know what, it's worth a shot at least, you know, taking a guy with high cognition Mm -hmm. on your practice. I mean, how is that not going to help? you know, whether it's just the practice squad or your second team or whatever, in hopes that, you know, if, you know, the physical, you know, if they can get him physically in in the right spot, you know, at some point, you know, he could, he could really be a, an impact, make an impact.
1: So, so I, I can't remember from last time we spoke, have you worked with some college football teams? Like it would seem like mm-hmm. it would help them with recruiting and then also, you know, analyzing who they have on the field. It would also seem like that'd be good information to have like with, presenting that information with themselves, selling themselves to the NFL teams going out. hundred percent. Absolutely. So yes, we, we work
2: with like, we we've worked with Alabama and LSU and just picked up like Florida state and we're doing Baylor's football program. Um, and we're built, we're slowly building. It's just, it, it's hard because you know, the player development piece, like we, so we work with, you know, 10 major league baseball teams, everybody has to hit. And yeah. not everybody does the same thing in football. Every position is different in what they have to do. So, um, you know, college baseball, they love the player development piece. The recruiting is kind of difficult, how to sure. you know, test a player, like what's it fall under as far as psychological, that kind of, you have to be careful with that in NCAA guidelines. So we haven't quite figured that out and how to get recruits on it. But, um, but yeah, there are, there are, you know, ways like – you know Florida State's football program. Coach Norvell is is phenomenal. He is all in. He loves this information. Wants to to help put guys in the right position. Because you you think about it, we've had we've had examples where guys were in the wrong position because they you know like you think about DBs like you know a corner and a safety. Safety has to see the whole field and got to be in the right spot at the right time and being able to anticipate and see all the field. Whereas like you know a corner doesn't necessarily have to to see the whole field but they have to be locked in on their guy, And so if they're impulsive or easily distracted, that might be tough for a corner to be or to be on on a receiver. But if he has the ability to visually scan and keep track of multiple things and search well, like you can probably be a little impulsive, a little distracted because you can still you can see the field so well and vice versa. If your safety can't track and can't search very well, but they've got steely focus and, you know, are not impulsive, you might want to slide them over to maybe a corner, you know, You know, some of those. So there's been ways that, you know, people have been able to, you know, depending on like same thing with like middle or outside linebacker or, you know, in the defensive end or right in the middle. I mean, you just there's ways that you can tweak or just make uh, subtle you know modifications to to a player, the way they process information that that'll help them put him in the right spot, not to, to demote him, because obviously if a guy's killing it because he's big, fast, strong. But what can you do to help him put him in the right spot and be the most effective?
0: So I know one of the other sports you just mentioned, and they just had their draft, which feels like a total crapshoot at times, Um, but Major League Baseball. And again, I know different number of teams, different what they want public on their relationship with the company and not. uh, But when you look at some of the college players, maybe that you've evaluated since they were in college when you evaluated them, um, who is a player that right now isn't in the big leagues but you guys fell in love with.
2: Um, so okay, I have a great example of this. Um, so there's a player. He was in the. He was in the Royal. I think he's in the Rays organization now. I forgot. He's low A or something. His name is Michael Gigliotti. Mm-hmm. Actually went to Lipscomb University here in Nashville. Um, one of our one of my coworkers who is in charge, he played in the big leagues. He coached professionally, coached collegiately at Lipscomb, right when he got out of a uh, big league, his name is Paul Phillips. He, he, uh, actually recruited Michael Gigliotti to go to Lipscomb. And that happened to be the first year that, that he met my, my brother, one of the co-founders and the other, um, cognitive neuroscientist, Brandon Alley. And they kind of like introduced you know the evaluation to them they you know they wanted to test their whole team just to see if there was any you know if this was had any kind of value or made sense and when they created the reports of all the players who took the test and gave it to Paul Phillips Paul Phillips thought he was being punked and it was a prank because every report was matching up exactly the way players were guys who were mm-hmm. impulsive guys whose timing was off guys who couldn't have, didn't have a very good understanding of the strike zone. Everything was matching up perfectly. And he thought it was a joke because these guys have never seen these guys play baseball before, but yet they are nailing their players. And the co- head coach had to say, man, we are not kidding around here. We're not joking. So Paul Phillips instantly as a, as an ex big leaguer, obviously was like, this is, this is the real deal. This is, this is exactly what we've been missing Because he took the test himself and found out, and he knew that he was an impulsive person. He swung a lot of times at pitches he didn't want to swing at and he didn't know why. And then he figured out, Oh, that's why, because I'm impulsive and I couldn't stop myself, even though I have great, you know, I was able to see it really well. My timing was great. He's like, it wasn't that I was just swinging and missing. He's like, cause I had great timing. I could see it. Well, I could see it quickly. He's like, but I was getting weak contact. He's like, I actually wish I was worse and could miss the ball because I'd at least have another chance to swing at the pitch instead of hitting a little dribbler or a little pop fly and having to run it out. And so Michael Gigliotti was like the highest test taker on the team at the time. He just was off the charts and they were going to bat him ninth. And so based on the profile, they, they asked my brother and the other co-founder like, Hey, what do you recommend? He's like, well, obviously he can handle the speed of the game. He can, man, he's got great, he's great. Everything like it usually doesn't happen that way where your guys are high on everything. Usually everybody, everybody, 90% of the players we've tested of the 10,000 people we've tested have highs and lows, small percentage have all highs and a small percentage have all lows. But He was high at like almost everywhere across the board, and he, they ended up batting him leadoff. He was like all conference first team. He was all American rookie or the rookie team, and ended up getting drafted. The net, you know, I think as a sophomore or junior, I can't remember, but just crushed it as a leadoff hitter and just dominated it from then on. Like that's, you know, he's been drafted and he's climbing up, and he just he's taken it since then and still just, you know crushes the test and so you know he's got the vision he's got the cognitive tools we tell those guys if you're ever struggling it's not because of this so figure out what it is whether it's mechanically or
1: psychologically or whatever else you know so that's i mean that's that's cool like two years ago you were on here and you know you were still pretty a newer entity and now it's, it's really cool to hear like the results of what you're doing and, and hear like the building that this has taken it's it's just awesome to hear the update yeah yeah
2: yeah and With baseball, though, it takes a lot longer to see these guys get drafted and make it to the bigs. Where football, it's instant. So
1: yeah, we'll see Justin Fields. We'll see right now what's going to (laughs) happen.
0: I'm curious because you mentioned the colleges, and you know, in this area where Leland and I are, we're going to talk. We've already talked about it in this podcast. Um, The Valley Baseball League is a collegiate wooden bat league. Have you had any collegiate wooden bat leagues or any college summer leagues at all? Like, reach out to you guys for help when. Maybe they're looking at a couple different guys that you guys have evaluated and which one to pull the trigger on.
2: Great, great, great question.
1: So the way Stop telling works, Joe he's asked good questions. He, he he keeps track.
0: That's three total to this interview. So Does
2: Leland have any yet? No. <laughs> no, I had none. Okay, so I just way, bring the guest on. That's all I did. <laughs> that's right. um so Baseball and and football are so different in the way that the draft works because football, we go to the combine, we go to the bowl games and, you know, COVID, we did a lot of remote Mm -hmm. testing where we sent our laptop and equipment to players like wherever they were, or went to some of, but it's a lot easier. Baseball, as soon as the draft's over, I have to start, you know, start for the next year's draft. And so one of those, because there's a lot of summer leagues and showcases and we're pretty selective because we, we try to, you know, give our teams the most. I mean, as many of the top hundred hitters in the country as we can for each draft, obviously we go well beyond that because all the showcases, you don't know where rankings, they fluctuate all the time from, you know, the summer rankings look totally different than the fall rankings look totally different in the spring rankings. So we just try to give them a huge number of players for each draft. And so for college players, uh, the Cape Cape Cod league, um, is like the premier mm-hmm. league, um, And so we spend, you know, you know, eight, nine days in Cape Cod trying to get all those 10 teams tested. We were able to get, uh, was it eight or nine of the 10 teams and that we had to actually do it the week before the draft because the draft was a month later this year. And so it kind of pushed things back a little bit, but yeah, so we, that's there. And then we go to, it's for high school players because it's high school and college players drafted. Um, we go to all the. The major showcases. They've sure. got national showcases, usually one on each on each coast and a couple other things
1: that go on. So, um, yeah, for college guys, it's pretty much Cape Cod is okay. pretty much all we go to. Sure. Yeah. So we I mean, both interviews, we've talked a lot about football and baseball. You know, the NBA draft was just the just last week. I, I'm interested in what kind of uh, opportunity you've had in the NBA for basketball, whether college or pro, just you know what what have you been able to do for basketball
2: so it's funny you say that
1: great question by the way
2: thank you um (laughs) we we are we've been (laughs) i don't just give those out but that was a freebie freebie for you um so we just started it's a little nba is a little trickier Mm -hmm. um I think with the, the union and what they, what players can say they want to do or not do, I guess, I, I don't really know all the logistics there, but we do have a team. The I, so I don't know if I can say it or not. We might want to fact check that, but anyways, <laughs> they, they're, they're really interested and uh, they're trying to, it's kind of like a pilot. We just are working with an NBA team and it's kind of like a pilot to see the value and, if, how it translates. And so far it's been good and positive. Um, we tested probably, um, I think the number was about a third of the draft, which I was very surprised, but I guess they have just, you know, they just cycled these guys through and there's only what, 60 something guys in the draft. So we probably tested about 20 of the guys that were drafted and um, yeah, they're starting to see, the value in what we measure is another piece of the puzzle um, because that's always what we are. I mean, just another piece that kind of maybe confirms what you see. And, you know, there's some things that, you know, if you have, you want a point guard, but his, you want to know about his field, or, or his court vision and he can't search or can't track. It might be, you know, his physical tools are much, you know, are, you know, are taking him where he got to, Mm -hmm. thus far, whereas, you know, you get to the NBA, everybody's super fast and strong, and you just see guys that, again, bust at the next level, and, you know, that's why you look at guys like, you know, John Stockton and, and Steve Nash, who weren't the tallest, strongest, fastest guys out there, but could just have just ridiculous, you know, court vision, you know, Jason Kidd and, you know, Chris Paul. I mean, these guys just can see it before it happens and anticipate and, you know, just don't get rattled they've, they've got steely focus that kind of stuff and you know so but so, yeah the nba we're, we're hoping that that'll pick up a little bit um as we roll but um yeah that's it's on the horizon
0: well and i know i i just happened to listen today to uh tom Haverstro talk about the nba draft right before it happened and then it happened um so i was a little behind catching up to this podcast but talking about the win shares between picks uh 10 through, I think, 25 or whatever, and how it's basically the same. And he said that didn't used to be the case. And he thinks part of that is, you know, less college time for a lot of these kids. They're just playing one, two years and going straight to the draft then. I guess this is you, – you, you're talking about it being new. And this is where maybe your success in football, baseball, you can say, hey, look what we're doing for these other sports. Like, we could do this for you and help yeah. you be better with pick 10 – so pick ten, which mm-hmm. is a way more expensive pick for a team, doesn't end up about the same talent level as pick, pick twenty five, which is super cheap.
2: Yeah, you're one hundred percent, one hundred percent right. Because you know, you think about it too. Your brain doesn't, your especially your, your frontal lobe doesn't, you know, finish developing until you're twenty three, twenty four, twenty five years old, and these guys still have. You know, a lot of room for development, but it's gonna it's gonna be a process. That's why you know a lot of these guys takes them a few years to get to get going. You know, it's it's amazing to see some of these young guys who can instantly have an impact. And you just wonder, you know, is it something cognitive that we could measure and see? You know, I, you know, I'm hoping that the uh, the team we worked with's first pick from last year or two years ago. Two years ago.
1: is two years ago. Yeah, now. Two years yeah. ago that
2: we can. They they think that we can get him evaluated. I would love to get his because I don't think he's just all physical. I think there's other yeah. things too that he's got going for himself. So I'd love to, we'd love to be able to dive in and see this because you know, if you can't like, you know, like it's the same with like the European picks. It's kind of, you know, you you don't you don't know until they get to this level if they can handle it or not. And obviously Doncic, you know, <laughs> is ex- way exceeding what people anticipated and um, you know, I I think that that people are going to start to see that it's more than because I think that NBA got is kind of you know your physical attributes are mm-hmm. kind of outweigh you know other things typically usually I mean you got guys like Curry and Trey Young who kind of like you know are you know just ridiculous at what they do but I I, I feel like it's it's because of that, their ability to process information and anticipate, make split-second decisions, seeing it faster and quicker and more efficiently than than other people. And I wish, you know, I think that NBA used to be that way. You know, look at Larry Bird, one of the slowest guys ever to walk the planet, you know, just dominated. I mean, just dominated and, you know, um, what was it? It wasn't just his skill level. I mean, it was his ability to, to see it and anticipate before anybody else could, so.
1: Well, the Olympics are going on right now, and I and I get the the Olympics are a, a different beast, and we're talking about leagues and teams for all these others. Uh, you know how how would you apply, or, or even have you been given the opportunity to apply this? You know, S two cognitive of to the Olympic athletes and, and and the different sports throughout the Summer Olympics, even the Winter Olympics. You know, I
2: think that you know we we can measure right now. We're ready. I think it's. Nine sports that we're ready to, you know, we're really getting into soccer right now, and so I know that's huge worldwide. But you know, individual sports like shooting—you think about, you know, your ability to stay focused, locked in, not impulsive. I mean, you've got to have like steely focus, and so not everybody can do that. And you know, you think about like trajectory of, you know, where you know you're shoot. You know, there's all kinds of things. You know, uh, you know, you look at other like I don't know. Give me. I, you think about like the swimmers, you know, the synchronic synchronization of the body and rhythm and, you know, the timing of when and anticipating when they're going to, you know, kick off, you know, cause I know some guys, they, they do it. It's they're like perfect every time that they, you know, switch. And I know they have hours and hours of practice, but sometimes when in the moment like that, you're going too fast or too slow. Can you improvise and make, you know, that, that movement correctly. And so, I think you can almost any sport, you know, like the, the wrestling and, and the, you know, the, the Taekwondo and the martial arts and stuff, anticipating people's movements and picking up subtle things that they're doing and, you know, improvising and, you know, track it. I mean, there, there's so many things that you can do. I think MMA fighters that, I mean, I, that's kind of derailing from the Olympics, but I think there's just, there's more to it than just being physically gifted, being able to, anticipate and seeing things faster than other people can because mm. you're, you're at an advantage I feel like if you can see it faster and make quicker decisions
1: all right so when you are not you know wrapped up with studying people's brains <laughs> or, you know flying across the country when you're supposed to be on a podcast last Monday to uh you know <laughs> uh, have these people uh around and testing them what what are you what are you binge watching? What are you watching on Netflix or on TV or movies that you would recommend for, for our listeners to listen to that is probably the opposite of, you know, brain uh, function measurement. <laughs> yeah, besides
2: having three daughters, five
1: three years old and
2: ten weeks old, I don't get to watch a lot, but what's a bluey, we do, you got the
1: bluey going on. Uh, yeah, there's that. There's
2: Puffin something, Puffin Rock. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But when we actually get time to sit down and watch something, my wife and i um, geez, we just what did we just pick up recently? I mean, besides, we like watching the, the Greats, The Office, and uh, we like Goldbergs. We like. We w- enjoyed Mandalorian for its two short yes. seasons. Yes, and uh, Stranger Things really looking for. I don't know. Is that going to come out? I mean, these kids I are going to be so. like thirty yeah, years old that's by the time problem. Next season comes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but oh man, I, I feel ashamed saying this, but someone introduced me to showed me a few episodes of Workaholics, and <laughs> I, it's been kind of entertaining. Although I don't promote anything that they they do on the show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, we well, we've talked about a lot of those. So those are all great answers. And uh, <laughs> Workaholics is one to go back and catch. So that's good. Well, Ryan, thanks for coming on with us. We really appreciate you having on. We'll get you on uh, in another two years, I guess.
2: Uh, but yeah. it's always interesting
1: to see how the, how you guys are growing. And, and, and I'm really excited for you. And as much uh, off the air crap as we give each other, it is really cool <laughs> how successful uh, this move has been for you. And I, And I'm really proud of what you're doing. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. I,
2: I, I hate to take the credit, but it's not me. It's this, I just am very fortunate that I work with a lot of smart people.
1: Yeah. You're smart enough to latch on, I guess. <laughs> I guess <so. laughs> well, thanks for coming on and we'll see you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. D block time here on the exports podcast. Before we get going with that again, thanks to Ryan Wiley coming on. I will say, just for listeners, uh, you know, he, he walks the line of what he can say uh, public, publicly and, and what he can't. Uh, so you, you do have to, you know, figure out a little bit of what he's saying. Uh, but trust me, any, any of the stuff we hear off air that's not for public consumption, his job is the coolest. I just, I want to make sure everybody's really taking that home. Uh, it's really just new age leading a wave of um, sports analysis that is just not being done anywhere else. And so I just think it's so cool that he's involved with that. And uh, he, he, he pushes away credit, um, but without his role in, in that company, they wouldn't be what they are. So um, don't let his uh, modesty fool you. He's a, he's a big part of that company and uh, does a great job at it, as you, as you hear in the interviews. Not just this time, but the time he was on two years ago. And we will have him on again because he's a friend of the podcast, and uh, it's so cool what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I I enjoy when we have him on. He teaches you and I a lot about, and our listeners on the questions that we can air, and then you and I
1: on some other stuff that we talk to him about. We dig into our teams and our players after all. Yeah. (laughs) Which, uh, if, if, you know, he's he's not really telling us anything apparently there, you know. (laughs) Uh, So, what's dominating my life? Hey, I'm on vacation this week. I took off uh, this last week before the kids go back to school. And we are hoping our kids are able to have as normal school year as possible coming up. Uh, it might include some masks at, and, and what, stuff like that. That's all fine. We're just we're eager for them to be able to interact with other kids and uh, teachers that they also don't call mom. And so uh, we're excited about that. But first, we're going to have a nice vacation this week, and we have a lot of fun activities playing with the kids. Um, they're always, always changing what the, what the activities are. Uh, but we've had a good kickoff to that this weekend, and getting going with the kids today, uh, early in the week. Um, but I don't know. I I am one of those guys that have come up in construction where you know don't we, we can't afford to take vacation. And the summers are when you know we got to do all this school work, and we're we're doing these renovations to schools, and we got to do this and that. And um, I always quickly get reminded during vacations that it's important to take that time, use that time. So if you're one of those people listening. This is me reminding you, take, take your vacation time. It's owed to you. You earn it. Make sure you use it. Because today, great examples of stuff that if, you know, we're, my kids are able to go do because I'm off. Because, you know, three kids and one mom can only do so much activities. You don't take on hikes to a waterfall <laughs> on your own necessarily for that. Uh, so they get to do more stuff. But then also you get to be there to see it. And it's a lot of fun. And so uh, it's just the beginning of the week. But uh, by next week, I'll probably have a lot of fun stories and stuff to talk about on the podcast. But uh, vacation week. Here we go. Yeah,
0: well, vacations are always good. I'll have one in a couple weeks, but
1: we're not big travelers. You know, we've had a history of doing vacation weeks like this Uh, before we had any in school. It was usually that first week of September kind of correlating with my birthday. And we do, you know, a. A camp a night or two here, go to the lake there, maybe sneak in another day at the lake, you know, go to the children's museum or this or that. We're, we're, we're shying away from the children's museums this week because, uh, you know, those, those museums are just based on public coming in and touching everything. <laughs> and it's just not the time for that. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot of other fun stuff planned. And so, uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. As you
0: should. Um, I think that's, that's awesome. Um, What is dominating my life was the Gold Cup, as Team USA sent not their A-team to this competition, uh, which is the CONCACAF Championship, basically. Uh, And we played not a full, strong, healthy Mexico team, but pretty close to their A-team. It, this was in no way our A-team. Anybody that plays in Europe was not at this tournament for us. So with, with our players not being there because they're at their clubs trying to train and get ready for their upcoming seasons and trying to have a little bit of an offseason, they didn't play in this tournament. So we had a lot of youngsters out there who will not see a lot of time when games kind of matter in the World Cup qualifiers and potential World Cups. To see them go out and then beat Mexico – and win this tournament was pretty amazing. Uh, they, were, they looked the better team for most of that match, which usually when I'm talking about a USA-Mexico match and we win, it's, well, we got a sweet counterattack and then held on for dear life. Um, we looked the better team, and that was awesome to see out of the B team for Team USA in this Gold Cup. So that gave me a lot of hope. Because, frankly, in World Cup qualifiers, we're going to have better attackers on the pitch. We're going to score what, more goals.
1: So what was Mexico's team?
0: Mexico was more of their A-team. Some of their guys well, they, were hurt. They well, also I mean, they have, have a, team a team in the in Olympics. They in the
1: semifinals at the Olympics.
0: Well, so that is, you remember how we were talking about with the women's national team and people don't care?
1: So they care more about CONCACAF than Gold Cup than they do the Olympics? Mm-hmm. It's wow. a
0: FIFA thing. Wow, well, FIFA, FIFA competitions mean more than the Olympics. The Olympics, in terms of soccer, don't really—I mean, it's a thing that happens, but it's not something like if—and if they win the gold, they'll tell you about how much they care about it, but they don't really care about it.
1: But I mean, it's Mexico versus Brazil in the semifinal, and that would normally catch my attention.
0: Well, but okay, it would also reason that those teams, B teams, would also be, or at least Brazil's B team, would be one of the better B teams. A lot of these countries are sending their B teams. Japan might be the only one that did.
1: So you mentioned our USA guys. They're not playing. These guys are the guys that won't be around, you know, next time they play in like a world cup qualifiers and stuff like that. These guys aren't really included. Isn't this the, isn't this the issue we're having with, with men's basketball that we don't, we don't have the guys when we need them and they're not playing together long enough. Like, should this make us excited? Shouldn't we? I mean, we have been failing on the national stage in soccer.
0: We have been failing on point. the national stage because we have not developed our talent. These are not guys I want to see in a World Cup qualifier match. Frankly, I don't. And, and when but we get to the World Cup, good that we I don't do not want to our see that. Other crew no, I would rather have our better players on the pitch. How many so times we when,
1: rather have them now? when
0: you were watching that game, how many opportunities did we waste against Mexico? We could have won that game 3-4-0 if we had okay. an average striker putting the ball in the net. And I guess that's mean. These, are, so then, these players aren't happy. that bad. but I
1: w- I, it's, it's a good sign we're winning a tournament with our B team. Uh, I'll, ta- I'll take that logic. But, like, I'm mad that we don't have our A team there. I want those guys playing together and getting to know each other.
0: They play with this team almost every other international break. They did not this one. I'm okay with that. I would rather have them for the World I've Cup qualifiers. Seen a qualifiers. lot more success in
1: the basketball than I have the soccer. I would rather the have level. them for
0: the World Cup qualifiers than have them try to play in this Gold Cup and get hurt.
1: If you have to choose, I I, I get that logic, but I I don't know. I, I guess I'm trying not to be like, have a double standard here. If I'm I'm demanding this out of the men's basketball to to make the program better, I mean I, that's me throwing shade at a at a Olympic team. A national team that's won a the of championships.
0: Sure, but the difference is, Leland, that the men's national team in soccer is together most of the year. They have international breaks throughout the year. And more times than not, those A players are there. They just weren't there in this specific tournament. So that's like saying the men's national team in basketball, they always get together. It's always the same group of guys, and they're always working hard. And then one particular tournament, they take off. That's not what happens there. The men's national team in basketball changes every time we pick that team.
1: Yeah.
0: The men's national team in soccer does not fluctuate that much year to year.
1: Fair enough. All right, what do you know that I need to know?
0: Well, I just caught this cool little stat. Um, I'll just throw this in because I didn't really have anything for this block but uh, that I really felt like sharing. But the Orioles are the first team ever to come – to either Yankee Stadium, the old or the new, 30 plus games under 500 and then have more home runs four than the Yankees had hits three. So it just goes to show you all those cool little big bats you added when it's boom or bust and they all bust at the same time, you are a triple A baseball team. Well, I'm
1: I'm you know, I I love that you're this optimistic about the Orioles and you're that sure of like in three, in two years, I think is what you said, not three, two years that the Orioles are just going to be running through this division. I'm, I like your optimism. I love, I love seeing it in you. I don't see it enough. It's something I latch on to because how I feel I roll through things. So I, I like it. It is the one
0: thing that oddly uh, people might fairly say I am optimistic about is the Baltimore Orioles. There's a lot of other things in terms of my sports team and other things that I am not optimistic about. But the Baltimore Orioles are the one thing that in two years will be going right. And if it's not, God help us.
1: And it's like the wa- <laughs> the, warning. the warning has been laid out. <laughs> it is the one sports fandom you carry that I really don't argue with uh, very much. I, I don't mind the Orioles. Uh, if they are successful in two years, that's awesome. That's great. I argue like heck about the Ravens uh, because we're on opposite sides of that rivalry. And then we argue about Virginia Tech just because I usually am way more optimistic just by fault there. Uh, Lately, (laughs) I've joined you in the.
0: Yeah, Leland and I, that could (laughs) have been what I know that you need to know, but I decided to leave that out. Leland and I had a great conversation about that before we even started this podcast. So that was fun. Let's
1: leave it alone. Let's talk about what is very positive for a local uh, student athlete in this area and his family, Tyler nickel. We talked about, we've been talking about him for what three years now or this may be the fourth year. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think we talked about him as an eighth grader, but I know we talked about him as a freshman. So, well. He's going into his senior year. It's starting to be decision time and that decision's getting a little more clear. We've been wondering where he's going to select. He has at least narrowed down his list now. So Everybody's still holding out for JMU, and we kept telling you to stop, stop holding out hope. It, it's, it was put to bed. JMU doesn't make his top five. He has all power five, well, not all power five teams, but all uh, big names in college basketball in his list. Virginia Tech, who we are rooting for, I believe. Mm-hmm. Butler, mm-hmm. Louisiana State, LSU, uh, and North Carolina and oh. Iowa. So right there, North Carolina stands out. That's, that's the blue blood of the group. Um, but that's awesome. And it's awesome he has that opportunity. I don't know why you'd go to Iowa. I mean, come on. Uh LSU, hey, they pay people down there. So, you know, well, but I, everybody I, can pay people now with NIL, so <laughs> I hope uh I hope that's not this factor. Butler, a, a heck of a story program. That's one of those um mid-majors that Joe was talking about that's really built up and and to be a recognizable mid-major and make a noise in the tournament. But I come back to Virginia Tech. Like why, you know. Go two hours down the road, go play for Mike Yon, and go own the ACC. Go go lead the charge of the new ACC that has Mike Yon as the best coach in the ACC. Once, you know, now that Roy Williams is gone and Coach Kay's on his way out, why would you do anything other than that and go be a Hokie?
0: Doesn't it kind of feel like Virginia Tech is, like, rising to be a team that could potentially win an ACC title? Like, I love yes. that.
1: I yes. love that.
0: That yes. being said, am I not supposed to read into the color of that heart do you get to choose that color of that heart? Yes.
1: I, I don't use many hearts in my tweets. See,
0: I, that's, a, that's a thing that I don't know if – I didn't see anyone in the comments reading into it, so I was like, am I not supposed to read into this? But that heart color was Carolina blue, and that made me just feel like this is basically him saying it's going to be North Carolina. I'm just doing the thing where I whittle yeah. it down.
1: I, I will be honest and, and very selective in my wording here. I will hate it. If he selects North Carolina, I will not hate him for that. It's North Carolina. It's a blue blood school. Uh, They still have optimism going forward and are preaching that Uh, I, I would get it. I would understand why he would want that. um, But I will hate it as, as, as a fan of what he's doing and having covered him on radio with you and uh, you know, probably weasel my way into covering some more with you between now and then if, if possible. Uh but uh that I would get it if he goes to North Carolina, but man I want him to come to Tech. If he and if he goes to one of those other schools, I I will I'll hate it pretty similarly. But at least with North Carolina like I I see the logic on the wall and it's it's hard to throw too much shade at.
0: But that's also a doomsday scenario cuz we're going to see him. Yeah. If he goes to Butler, LSU or Iowa, probably not going to run into him.
1: I'm rooting for this kid. I want him I want him to optimize his potential and his life. If he feels like North Carolina is going to do that for him, like I I get it there. These other schools, Iowa,
0: but Virginia tech, you're going to have like, if, if he goes to Virginia tech and does what he thinks he's going to do, right?
1: Yeah. It's it's, he should go to Virginia tech, but
0: this is my pitch for Virginia tech, (laughs) go to Virginia tech. You are what you think you're going to be right. NBA potential. You might be the best player in the history of Virginia Tech. They're going to hang you in the rafters.
1: You might have Nickel Court in Blacksburg.
0: Yes, (laughs) because JMU wouldn't give it to you because they were being short-sighted. So you go to Virginia Tech, and you have it there? Oh, because look, no offense, Tyler Nickel. You're not Michael Jordan, so that's not going to be a thing. Like, you're not going to be the best player to ever code through North Carolina. No offense.
1: We need to get him some S2 uh, cognitive here and, and we really know what we're dealing with.
0: That's true. We would know more <laughs> if we were able to do that. I don't want to pay whatever that's going to cost. So someone else needs to do that. And <laughs> yeah, Butler, LSU, Iowa. I mean, those are the,
1: th- Iowa like, those are the
0: three fun that just because <laughs> and have fun? Like- I think this might be us being an ACC country though. They, makes it a little bit biased because we're like, oh, Virginia Tech and North Carolina, there's the two ACC schools. Butler is really, really good at basketball.
1: I, I like was pretty
0: good at basketball.
1: Around, I don't like what's swirling around LSU right now. I, I hope he can... like Just on the surface, and he knows. He, he's he gone, I assume, gone to visit these places. He's talked with these coaches directly to get this offer. He knows more about what's going on at LSU than I do. I don't like what I hear. And so, like in my mind, that's what clicks it there. I just don't like I don't want him caught up in anything because I know he wouldn't do anything wrong. I don't want him caught up in the punishments of what others have done or something like that. So, like, that's, that's number one off my list right there. Like, I really won't like it if he goes to LSU because I just am afraid of what could turn. And, and Iowa is easy for me to knock off the list because it's Ames, Iowa. I, th- I honestly think Blacksburg, Virginia is better than Ames, Iowa easily, uh, even though we have our cold winters. I, Ames, Ames is worse. So get Iowa off the list. Now we're talking playing at Butler and that, in that Cole, uh, not Cole field house um, in the field house there. That's so storied. That's so cool for them to play in. And, and then the North Carolina. So that I've, I've narrowed it down to three and, but I said, uh, Maroon and I, Maroon and orange. It just takes it. He's got to go. He's got to stay home in a sense.
0: Yeah. You're also mixing up where Iowa and Iowa state are. Iowa state's in Ames.
1: Where,
0: I, where is I? Iowa City? That sucks. Too. I'm, I mean, look, I've never been to Iowa, so I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I guess I've I'll say I've never been office, to Iowa. So I don't know. Yeah, I've never been to Iowa. I guess that's what I would say. <laughs> I spent, you know, a few hours in Louisiana, not intentionally, but.
1: I've gone to LSU, I've gone to LSU's campus. I've been in Louisiana tw- on two different football game trips. Uh, Tech lost both those games. So that's another thing to hold against them.
0: I've never been to Indiana, so I don't know about Butler, but I would go to Indianapolis.
1: Um, I heard Indianapolis is cool. I, I I'm not throwing a lot of shade at Butler, and you know maybe that's the opportunity for him where he could be really good there. And I don't know, I don't know. It's up it's up for him. I'm anxious to hear his decision. You got
0: Gordon Hayward at Butler, though.
1: It doesn't matter what. He does. I will be, I'll be cheering for this kid. Even if he goes to North Carolina, I would still be cheering for this kid and says I'll just want him to lose one or two and maybe an ACC tournament game every year when he plays Tech.
0: So. Yeah, I was going to say I'll root for him to an extent. but Yeah.
1: I don't want him to get in my way of, my, of Mike Young's dominance at the ACC, but he can have personal success. And that's the thing, right? Do you want to go to North Carolina and then Virginia Tech wins the ACC? No, that's what's going to happen. You
0: want to go to Virginia Tech and be a part and of that new – ACC dominance Virginia Tech taking over ACC basketball that's what you want to be a part of that's why I think that's why I think he should choose Virginia Tech but I sure there's the conversation
1: just a touch We talked about Mac McClellan so much over the last since the beginning of this podcast and what he you know his college choices his choosing to go to the NBA he was in the draft last week went undrafted but did immediately sign a contract with the Lakers uh, mm-hmm. after the draft and he'll be playing his summer league ball for the Lakers. Um, you know, he has the NBA dream. I, I thought he could have used another year of college to be start at a better level coming in the NBA. But he'll have a chance to prove it against other guys doing the same thing uh, during the summer league. And he'll have an opportunity to make a roster and then we'll see where he lands. If if he's performs really well, then great for him. And and every other any time I've ever doubted Mac McClellan, he has proven me wrong. So, I'm not saying he's not doing it. He might, he's going to be the MVP of this summer league for all I know. But we'll have to see where that leaves him and, and what he's able to do. And uh, I root for the best for that kid, too. I, you know, we covered him in a much further back. We've covered Tyler Nickel a lot more than we covered Mac McClellan. Um, but I'm rooting for that kid, too. So we'll see what he does. Justin Robertson, also on that Lakers summer league roster, a Hokie alum there so uh root for him out there in that same I, I actually might cut the tv on to a nba summer league game with both of those guys on the roster just to see what they're doing uh it'll be a first yeah i don't know
0: we'll see i i just i think definitely g league is in his immediate future and it, hopefully he'll do well there I, that's what happens for a lot of these summer league guys yep. yeah and chris middleton was in the g league so it's not saying like the g no, league yeah. is a death sentence like it used to be uh, the players develop there and and can then yeah. make pretty nice NBA careers. So hopefully that's the case for both Justin Robinson yep. and Mac McClung. Although I think Justin Robinson might be a little different because he's been a few years out of tech now. He's so. coming
1: back to it, kind of. Yeah. Thing, so.
0: so hopefully they're both able to find success uh, yep. in the NBA. For sure. Well, that will do it for us on this episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I know we ran a little long, but, again, we felt the interview was really good, and then Leland just teed me up for the Yankees, and I think he knew what he was doing. <laughs> so um, make sure you're following us on Facebook at Pod. We're on Twitter at Pod. You can find us on email, yaksportspod at gmail.com. And, of course, YAK is spelled Y-A-C for your Augusta County in case you are New to the proceedings, you can subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, so you don't miss another episode. And Leland and I will be getting ready. We are just a few weeks away from high school football talk. We might have one more Valley Baseball League recap uh, in yep. your near future if we can swing it. Uh, but uh, until then, folks, we hope you have a great week, and we will talk to you on next week.